Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi there. Welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. In this episode, we talk to Mr. David Holmes, who was a driving force behind the Rangers' revolution in the mid-80s, which led to revitalisation of the whole of Scottish football. Today's podcast is brought with the help of GemmelsVans.com, who are a Kamarnock's um, van, used van specialist with a massive array of stock, good family business, good people. Please support them, and I'll link below their, their website. And just a usual call out to everybody watching, if you're enjoying podcasts please hit the subscribe button and the bell to get notified of when future podcasts come out and if there's any particular podcast that you like please hit the thumbs up and feel free to put some comments in the message box below join the community enjoy the podcast um i've had a lot of people um that say, can we get a book we get a book I, I take it as available online yeah, it's available online. Yeah, and is it on Amazon or is it on a, through the publisher direct? It's through a publisher direct website, yeah. um, which we can give you the details. Yeah, of. I'll, I'll sure put, the, put it on when the we put the yeah, yeah when we yeah. put the, the video out, there'll be links to it and put it on the social media. But and I, can I sorry, can I say that book has <clears throat> my family have done everything. They've organised the printers. They've done everything. They do all the packing. They do all the collecting the money. This is a family. And this is one of the families. Oh, that's, that's a lovely and this family. is a family book. Yeah. And we've got this man sitting here. And he's he's a marketing man. But he came in and he is making, he's made the whole thing professional. Uh, so nobody should ever think about, we went to, I, I didn't go to a publisher because the publishers wanted to edit my book and I wanted it to be my book, not somebody that didn't understand editing the book. No, so that's that, our story. And it sounds like something that I think it's fair to say you've done probably through your career. Um, it's a team effort. I, I, I've never, I, I've, I've had one brief and I'll probably touch on that um, later on if you'll indulge me. 
um, meeting with you in the past. But even through our short conversation today and seeing the way you presented yourself um, back in the 80s and then uh, even in the 90s, when it was, was your folk up a bit early, late 80s, early 90s? memory even, yeah, yeah. so even seeing how you you, you conducted yourself there I, I get the impression that although business cannot really be run by committee you need a hierarchy system but you seem to me uh, a person who understands fully that the the team is involved and surrounding yourself with people good people is paramount to that um and the, the team Although, and again, it's a fine line, is, you know, try to run any business or any organisation by committees, always, I think, destined to fail, or at least not, um, if it does succeed, not succeed at the level it should. And, and you, you were this person, you know, at the top of the tree. You already spoke about the, after the Hibs game, what you've done in the changing room on the Monday, um, how you sort of dealt with, with uh, Mr Soonis. But I get the feeling that you totally buy into the ethos of a team. And it looks as that's what you've done with this book again. You've, you've the team and very much obviously been family orientated. The team was already created for you, but it's a team effort all the same. And is that a fair assumption as someone that's not known you intimately through your business time? But is that the way you you seen business? That that is the only way you can run a business. I mean, you have a look at the <clears throat> the big the big companies. They're all started by an entrepreneur. And that was the one voice that made them. And when you see it handed down over the years, <clears throat> that's where you start to get the problems. But my approach to everything has been team. I believe in teams. And this book is the team that we put together. You know, my family, Graham, Walter, Stephen here, Campbell. We put a team together to form a team, to unite with a bigger team, the supporters. And that's the way I saw it. The book is called One Voice. There was one night I was sitting watching television, and I'm a great Barry Manilow fan. And I was watching Barry Manilow, it was a big concert he had open air in England and uh, it came to a certain part of the show and the, everything went into darkness and there was there was one light and it was on the piano he was sitting it and he started singing one voice and as he started singing there was an orchestra and their lights went on and then there was a choir and their lights went on and then as he kept on singing, the big crowd was out there and there they had been issued with wee lights and they started going on. And when he finished, all the lights were on. And that's how I saw Rangers. One voice and I sparked off a light and we got my family come in, Graham come in, Walter come in, Stephen was a part of it. So we created this, and then all of a sudden we had 40,000 people there, and that was the revolution. No, no, it's, yeah. Sorry. No, no, it's 100%. And I think the, you know, the, the analogy you gave there with the Barry Manilow, I'm, as I said to you, I'm a visual thinker, and I'm, I'm 
seeing that as you're describing the story. And it is a, and I think not only for a football team, for a business or anything, an organisation that you want to have successful, that I think it's not a bad ethos. And there's loads of people out there that are part of committees and do wonderful things. But I think if you take a hierarchy or a committee, you're always going to get a better result with that, as long as it's not stand up the top and bang your fist and we're doing it this way and no other way. You take the team ethos into a hierarchy system, we'll always get you better. And it's possibly, when I asked you earlier, I totally respect the way you answered that, that when I asked you, you know, on day one, how bad was it? And you were not wanting to badmouth these guys. And I totally respect that. But I think, to be fair to them, they probably had more of a committee theory behind the way they managed the business than you did on day two, once you had the discussions to get the, the 66% behind you. And again, I think Rangers at that time were not unique. I think a lot of clubs would have been that way. And again, it just sort of backs up this theory that you've agreed with me with, that the committee versus hierarchy, there's no comparison. Um, something might be fair to say that that's probably why there was things at Rangers that maybe weren't right. It was the people, the people involved. It was just that there was a committee. You see, one of the big things in business, uh, if you sit at the top and you delegate, that's okay. That's great. That's where you need a team. But even when you delegate, you've still got the responsibility to make sure they did it. And if you don't, if you delegate and just forget about it, and then a couple of weeks, a month later, it comes up again, it's a failure. So the two things I've always worked about in business, if you delegate, you make sure it's done. If you don't, you've abdicated. And that's the problem. And I, I don't get me wrong, it's not a dictatorship. I never saw myself as a dictator. I saw myself as the one that was saying, this is the way it's got to be. But if I gave Graham a, the job, I made sure he did the job. This man, I said, you can have what you want. You'll get all the first. But he did the job. And I always went back to make sure that he was happy he was getting the support he wanted and needed, and I was getting the results that he was giving me. So I think that's the difference between going in as a dictator and saying, we're going to do this, and, you know. I never had a private anything at Rangers. I was in, and I sorted things out. And I was in early on a match day and I walked around to make sure that everything that I wanted was pristine. And I think that was important. I think I I think what I'm picking up is below you would delegate, you didn't delegate responsibility. If a job needed done, you've seen it as your job as a leader of that business, whether it be Rangers or the, the car trade or the building. Um but if you said, look, Craig, I want you to see this, you didn't then just disappear and you still felt responsible for it. So you would manage me through the situation. If you said, Craig, I want you to go into that garage, I'm selling 50 used cars a month just now, I want you to get it to 100, no problem, boss, I'll do that. You wouldn't leave me for six months and then come back and say, Craig, how did you go on? Oh, I've only got to 60. 
you made sure you would manage that situation better. Is that a fair, again, a fair assumption of, of you? You're talking about cars. I mean, one of the jobs I had in my five days I was working with the Lawrence Group was I was chairman of Thai cars. I mean, and it was like anything else. If you didn't ask, you weren't told. But I asked. <laughs> I was 25 years in the motor trade, Mr. Holmes. I've got all empathy with you there. <laughs> it was a strange. But again, I think that's just some amazing part of your character that I, I didn't, I just never, maybe I did know it, maybe I can't remember it. But you you had three massive jobs running at the same time. And I, I don't think, if you broke those three jobs down to three different individuals doing those jobs, arguably they were all difficult consuming pressure jobs how did you cope how did your uh, how did your family life um survive that well that's that's why i had great difficulty in uh, taking on the ranger job when they asked me to do that but i think basically what i'm saying is that i had those three four five big jobs in there but i had five teams and the teams were all my teams yeah. and they knew what I wanted and I knew what they needed and it worked. I mean, there's one sitting here, right? So yeah, Stephen, right? When, when it's all started and have you ever had such a, a pleasant time working for a big organization? And getting information. So it was the most uh, most exciting and rewarding time in my career, without without doubt. It was um, yeah, it was a it was a thrill to be part of it. Yeah. So you you built these teams in each of those um, occupations that you were running at the same time, and that's probably how you managed to do it. That's mm. that's, that's the secret, isn't it? Yeah, that's fascinating. Do you know, I could if you took the football aside, I took the David Holmes that changed my life as a young Rangers fan aside. There's an amazing interview with you as a business person. But that's probably how you became the success at the, the Rangers, isn't it? Don't you say that. That's what he's talking about right now. I, I need a bit of peace now. <laughs> you've done that. Sorry. See, now, your, your time, I'm just trying to stick to chronological order. Um, I think we've almost, you know, they've covered that 86, 87 season. That's got to be the pinnacle. Right. And and if you 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 allow me the privilege, I'll share a story with the the audience. When I was uh, started going to Rangers as a season ticket holder, eight nine year old, talking about eighty eighty one, we didn't see much success. When uh, the eighty six eighty seven season finished, and my mother wouldn't allow me to go up to Aberdeen without a ticket, so I, I did uh, enjoy um, that from a distance. And then we. A week later, played St Martin, and we, we properly celebrated, and the place was just, it was an amazing, amazing um, experience. And then the game finished, and then the stadium was empty, and I, I was in no rush because my father had to leave early, and he would come back and pick me up because of business um, things he had to attend to. He was his own business at the time, and I was in no rush to leave the ground, and I, it was almost empty, and I looked over, I was in section J, still am to this day, two, two, two sections away from the, the director's box. And I looked over and there was Mr. Holmes. 
And the, the fans had done their lap of honour and they'd all been flung scarves and celebrated and held in shoulders and all that. I think there was maybe a couple of pitch invasions in my memory serving me right as well, on and off the palm. It might have been small ones, but um, and I, I think we, we were potentially the, the last two or certainly in the last um, to leave the main stand that day. And I came over to the director's box and asked, uh, shouted you, Mr. Holmes, and you came over, yes, sir. And I says, can I give you my scarf? And I think, again, my memory, I mean, not um, precise, but uh, why is that, son, or something like that? And I said, because I think you've done as much for your club to win this title as the players in that park. Um, and I want, they all get scarves. And that was the only time I've had the privilege of meeting you, but it meant so much to me because it changed my life as a, as a fan from being delighted at reaching a Skull Cup final and dreaming of being third or fourth in the league and not fifth, as we were the season before. Um, and that that's my... I, I can remember nothing else about that game, that's in one game, apart from going up and giving Mr Holmes my scarf. And I couldn't wait to get home. And my dad, where's your scarf? I think I'd flung it at Sunus or Butcher or somebody in the park. And I couldn't wait to tell him, no, I gave it to Mr Holmes. So that that's my memory of you. Um, uh, uh, I hope uh, I hope you, you, you understand that not alone. Um, certainly since I started asking social media, does anybody know where Mr. Holmes is? Because I'd love to interview him. The feedback I've had from people all around the world now, very, very similar stories to mine and certainly the same feelings as you as a person and what you, you've done in their life. I know you're proud of what you've done at Rangers. I know you're proud of that title and the team you built, but do you understand the effect you had on so many others? Well, that's uh, I think when I left Rangers, um, I was sad, unhappy about the way it happened and how it happened and the way we were treated as a family, and. Uh, I knew there was an affection between uh, the supporters and myself, but uh, subsequent to uh, this all happening, I was sitting, I live in Creole now, and uh, I like going down to the, I just live on my own, and uh, I go down to the seafront every morning, watch the sunrise, and I just love watching the sea coming in and going out. And I was sitting there one day and uh, there was a couple walking past and they had walked past a couple of yards and they stopped and they came back the way. And this lad said, I know your face. Mind you, I don't know how because I don't think I look like I looked then, but that's beside the point. <laughs> And I said, I, I said, uh, David Holmes, oh, he says. And then he, he, him and his wife sat down, one on each side of me. And he took the next half hour to tell me how important I was in his life. And the affection was uh, something really special. And he, he's got he's got his name in the book now. Oh, right. That was special. Yeah. 
And uh, last Saturday, we launched the book in, uh, in Fife. And Lynn will tell me where it was. I can't remember. And uh, it was a, a, a another guy, John Penman, who uh, he's got a, a bus in every every home game. Him and all his pals have got their bus, their own bus, and they come down to Highbrook, see the game, and then they go back up and have a drink and go home. And two or three years ago, Lynn uh, was a a business colleague of his, he asked if he asked Lynn if I would go and have a chat with him before they went to the game. So one Saturday morning, we went along, and I had a chat with him, and I couldn't believe the affection that I got. It was it was uh, it was something that was I knew I'd got on with him, and but it'd been such a long time that passed, and then. Uh, two or three months ago, when when we were started, uh, Stephen and I were started with a book. Uh, he asked if we would go and talk to him again. So the three of us went and we saw him, and I spoke for about thirty minutes, and it was just silence. And they were they were mesmerised, and and I'm thinking to myself. It's a hard thing to actually look at yourself that you had that kind of uh, feeling between you and a lot of people. And it was only then I started to realise just what I'd done. And when we went there on Saturday, he had organised a whole, those 40 odd people there all wanted to buy the book. There was a and, lot more. <laughs> I, and then... I, I spoke to him for, I don't know, half an hour. Uh, and I think the reaction, well, the other two can tell you, but the reaction was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I could feel the... I was getting emotional. And that was special. Good, good. Because um, I, another reason that I was wanting to reach out and, and do this uh, so early the career of this short podcast. It frustrates me, the naivety of some people, and it's not naivety, and I don't mean it in a bad way, and it's just naivety of the, the perchance when they were born. The amount of people, especially the younger generation, that think the Rangers Revolution was started by David Murray. And I actually have spoke to people that, that actually had the belief that Sir David brought us mm-hmm. And I go, no, and because you're such a big character in my life uh, uh, as a Rangers fan, I find that bizarre. But I, I understand it. You know, if you weren't born in '86, uh, then, then that's the chronological order you might have. And I was very keen to set the record straight. You know, it's not we're run a battle here in my musket. You know, everybody knows that you signed soonest. There's a bit of that, but just to put it out there, document it, put it in the ether, and in a hundred years from now, it'll still be there. And, and it was a driver for me that it was just misconception. But the, 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 the fans of my generation totally get it. And I can understand why you've got right. such a, a, a rapport with them. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that book's lying there is after I left, uh, 
the people who came in after me, and the newspapers, and the television, and the historians, all, tr all had the same thing. They tried to bury my time there, and I don't know why. The people who didn't want to bury my time were the ones we're talking about, the supporters. And so I wanted my time at Rangers to be in the history books. And I thought the best way to do it was to put it there ourselves. Yeah. So my team put our history in that book. Yeah. Nobody can forget about it now. Something that I, I didn't appreciate as well, so if, if, I, if I've got a sort of misconception over that period of time, it's no wonder people that weren't born then have. And that's when uh, David Murray came into the club. I didn't realise there was a period of both of you been there? I, I can't remember that. I just thought it was a clear one day you were here, next day Sir David was here. So again, just moving along chronological, chronological order of the story. Well, when did the David Murray interest become known? How did it happen that he took control? And then what happened after that? Because I, I genuinely thought it was one day you were here, the next day he was here. And then you know, one press on to Google and went, oh, God, you were here for about six months, seven months, maybe, of the, the, the yeah, experience. Yeah, the, the deal wasn't fully paid up till the end of the season. Well, and I didn't want to. <laughs> it was my season. I was chairman. Yeah. And until we had it all cleared up, I was not leaving. Yeah. And that's why they made it really awkward. And it was, it got nasty at times. Right. So uh, there, would, there would need to have been a change over there. That makes sense. So going back a little bit in the time timeline, <clears throat> how did how did David Murray become the one of the Rangers? What, what happened there? Well, let's just say he never became the owner of Rangers. And that's the biggest misconception of the lot. He didn't buy Rangers. He bought Lawrence Marlborough's shares. No more no less. Made him the leading shareholder, but never the owner of Rangers. Yeah, that is, again, that's a popular misconception, which I actually knew, as was aware of, and I'm even using that terminology myself. So, with, with that shareholding being still running about, what, 60-70% of the time? Is it about 80 by the time Lawrence had bought? Uh, no, no, uh, no, we had 66 when I left. It was always at 66. Yeah. And I don't know what happened after that, because uh, I took no more interest in it. Uh, but he had, uh, my recollection, recollection, he had uh, three or four shares issues. Yeah. We never had a, a shares issue. Mm -hmm. The only one we had was when we bought the initial shares. Uh, but the, the punters built the club at three or four times without having shares issues. Ponied up quite a lot and still doing it just now. There's been like two. I've been able to. Ah, since 2012 for two that the. I never wanted. Funnels. I just wanted the money that we earned to be used to run the club. Mm. And no more. No, no, I, no borrowing, no anything. Mm. I didn't want any money from the Lawrence Group. Didn't want any money from anyone. If we earned it, that's what got, Graham got to spend. Yeah. That's how it was run. Yeah. And you, so David Murray, again, 
I think there was a story that he was trying to buy Ayers United or something previous, and that mm. didn't happen. But he was a character that, until he came and got Rangers, nobody really outside sort of, you know, close business associates would probably have known too much about. So how did that interest come about? And, and you know, did it come to you? Did it go to the owner of the shares? How does, it, how does a deal like that happen? At the end of the fifth year, it was done. Lawrence and I had a five-year plan. Yeah, we got to the end of the fifth year, and Lawrence was really uh, wanting to cut all ties from Scotland uh, and live in America. So he decided he wanted to sell his shares, yeah. and. When, and he said, but if you can get somebody to buy him and, and you negotiate your own, I said, no, no. If you go, I go. It's as simple as that. And when it came to that, it was uh, Graham that had got friendly with David Murray. And he said, David Murray would like to talk to you about it. So I, I negotiated on behalf of Lawrence for the, the price of the shares. And... Uh, that's how it happened. Yeah. Uh, again, it, it, it will blow some people's minds because some people genuinely believe David Murray brought Sunnis. But ironically, it was Sunnis that introduced Murray, not the other way about. History mm -hmm. and the truth are sometimes... Mm -hmm. Well, uh, just go back and dig out the papers and you'll find out after I left, even the reporters that saw him coming, Graham coming through the boardroom door, said that the money organisation brought in Graham Sinners. Incredible, isn't it? So it's, it's no wonder then that the newer generation that didn't live through that had that preconception because that's what they were told. And that baffled me. You know, I haven't even considered it. I don't... In this day and age, not, unfortunately, newspaper hard copy sales are dwindling and we get our news delivered to us in slightly different formats than, than previously but I didn't actually consider or, or um, appreciate that, that that was a narrative that some people were happy to to spin um, and, 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 and I, did, I do need to chortle that the reality is as uh, soon as brought Murray not the other way about, incredible um, so the, the deal's done. The shares are getting purchased over a set period of time. It wasn't just there's a bag of cash mm -hmm. and we take them. In. So that now you understand mm -hmm. that there was a f maybe five or six months period where you were still there and you wanted to live that season out. And I think it's very commendable that you said. For Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Day one, we've got a five-year plan. And it was a five-year plan. It was. And it was a successful five-year plan. I don't think you missed any of your KPIs. You got on with the job and got it done. Um, and so you've got a certain amount of time to lead up to that, the point where you know I'm going to leave here as the chairman. You were still chairman at the time, is that right? So you, you know you know that on that day I'm leaving, you can prepare yourself for that. But that last day, and the reason I ask is I was very fortunate to have worked for the club for about two and a half, three years. And I can remember my last day. And my job is at that level compared to the level you were there. What's, what does that day look like and what does that feel like, Mr Holmes? Scottish Cup final. Yeah. Against Celtic. And I went out in the park to be introduced to the players. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking along. The first person I come to is Terry Butcher. And he said, We have missed you all day today. Where have you been? And I said, Terry, you got on and won this game. And walked along. That was my last day. I had nothing to do with Rangers after that day. Betty and I drove home and it was finished. Incredible. And I and I think. Uh, you know, hearing you, you talk today, I don't think, but I thought about it would be through choice that you thought, right, that's that chapter of my life finished. You, you put a lot of life and soul into it and you deserved a break, if nothing else. But up until the 150 celebrations and there was a civic reception in the um, city chambers in Glasgow, was that your, was that the next connection you had with Rangers Football Club? That was the last time I had anything to do or any connections with Rangers Football Club. And then I, I remember, and this is again was probably the trigger for me, because I remember looking at all the the faces in the the, the audience, and that, the, 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 the papers were a lot of photographs of it. Rangers website covered it, and there's Mister Holmes. I've not seen him for a long time, and you're going, oh, there's this one and this mm-hmm. one and this one, and all these characters from. You know, my own, my own history as a fan. And I thought, it's Mr. Holmes. And I'm thinking, not seeing him then in the Dow Rangers for a while. But no wonder, because you hadn't for mm-hmm. over 30 years. There was no connection. So how does that go? What happens to change that from the day you walked out after that Scottish Cup final to going into uh, the City Chambers? How did that come about? Uh, Stuart. Wrote to, to Lynn Stuart Robertson mm-hmm. and asked me to go. Incredible. Did you enjoy that day? No. Oh, right. <laughs> the company you're keeping or the, the place you were in? I just felt that uh, uh, it wasn't a celebration that Rangers should have had. I thought they're a bigger club than it seemed to be a, a low key celebration. Yeah. And I, I think. Uh, 150 years deserved a lot better. 
No, nothing to do with Rangers. It was just the whole thing just seemed to be low key. I mean, 150 years, one of the top uh, institutions in football. I think it could have been better. Right? Yeah. Uh, from a selfish point of view, personal point of view, I, I, I was somewhat underwhelmed by the celebrations because we had, we, we had a lot of lead-up time to it. We knew it was coming. And yes, you know, you had... 150 years. Aye, had a fair time to plan for it. <laughs> and, you know, uh, there was a lot that could have happened. And I remember the day of the game of the 150th, so this is this is that. We didn't even get to wear the strip. We'd be brought out for that day because somebody somewhere had obviously forgot to put in the application needed to wear a strap, but we blamed it on other people. Mm -hmm. the, the My biggest impression, my biggest memory from that day was a wonderful TIFO that was surrounded the whole stadium. That was done by the fans. And I'm not going to say and start slaughtering people within the club, I'm just giving you my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I felt that if it wasn't for the fans who organised that TIFO, the whole thing would have been even more underwhelming. And you're feeling the same when you went to the, the Glasgow City Council um, chambers. It, it was just yeah. right. We've had it now. I'm I'm not criticizing. Yeah. I just I just felt that when I walked in there, there would be a a kind of jubilation, yeah. joy feeling. But it was low key, mm -hmm. and that was I don't know I don't know why it was organised or who it was organised by or just I just didn't it feel as if it was telling the story? Yeah. That's all. Yeah. It's just my opinion. Well, maybe for 300th anniversary, we'll get it better. I'm not be there. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I'm not going this time. That's <laughs> 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 the Holmes comedian. No, you go over there, that cracker. Are you sure you're not going? <laughs> no, I'll go if you go, right? You didn't bet against it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. But no, I think uh, me, I, I just remember thinking, oh, it's Mr. Holmes. And you're saying you look nothing like the character from 1986, the one we've got yeah. today, but you're immediately recognizable to me um, and many others. And uh, I just, I, I was. Uh, Can I tell you something? Go on. The day after, I'm just, uh, just less than 24 hours. I got a phone call from my daughter. And she said, everybody's asking, was that you that was that the, you know? Ah. And that kind of that kind of resonated a bit, you know? And that, I mean, I just went along with my grandson. He he was there to make sure that nobody accosted me when I got there. <laughs> Because he's bigger than me, and uh, uh, you know, introduced him to a, a few people that uh, still remembered. But uh, no, it was. But when Lynn phoned and said that people had seen it on, I didn't even know they were taking pictures. I didn't even realize that. No, but I think it created it created uh, maybe one of the things that 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 went together to yeah. to get some kind of inspiration to finalise this. Yeah. No, it was it was great to see. And, uh, you know, I just thought, oh, I've not seen Mr Holmes. In, I mean, I remember you being at, um, at Falkirk and things like that and seeing you on TV and stuff like that. But 
I've ever seen Mr. Holmes at Rangers thing for hours. That's great. Not realising that there was no in-between. And I think, um, I think personally, I owe Stuart Robertson a gratitude for picking the phone up that day because it reunited your connection with the club. And as a fan, I'm grateful for that. Uh, and it was it was brilliant to, to see you there. Um, and then obviously the book launch, that was that was held at Ibrox as well, wasn't it? The, the book launch was, was, was at yes. Ibrox. Yes. And did you enjoy that Excellent. process? Excellent. Well, that was the first time I'd been back in uh, Ibrox for 34 years. Fantastic. Well, it's not fantastic. You weren't there for 34 years, yeah. but it's fantastic that it's it's um, it's it's there. So we're now you've left Rangers. What, what was the gap between maybe two or three years in between your association at Rangers and then going into Falkirk? Oh, that just came about. Uh, it was there was nothing planned there. I had uh, I'd made my mind up football. That was I was all over. And the two lads that actually uh, owned Falkirk, Eddie Muffet and uh, Malcolm Allen, they they had they were getting pelters for the the Falkirk supporters at the time. They were doing very well in the league, and they decided they were going to sell the club. And Malcolm Allen's son James. Uh, came up to see me and he said, look, I'm going through to Edinburgh to meet two lads that want to buy the club. He said, you want to come with me? Just, I said, well, I said, it's not to do with me. He said, no, but I need a bit of a moral support. So I went with them through and we met uh, the two lads that were wanting to build it. They, they were with Berwick Rangers at the time. And we had a good chat, and they were asking about the club, and I, I gave them my insight into it. And that was it finished as far as I was concerned. And then a few weeks later, uh, Betty and I were just getting ready to have dinner in the house, and uh, the doorbell went, and uh, when I went to the door, it was uh, the two lads that were going to buy Falkirk. And I said, come in. And I thought they wanted to ask something else. It, they said, no, no, we've, we've actually bought the club and we're going down to have our first board meeting tonight. But we thought we'd come and uh, ask you a question. And I said, well, okay. said, uh, well, we could do what we might help to get over the, the difference between uh, the club and the supporters. And we'd like you to become chairman. And I said, "Oh, wait a minute, lads!" I said, I, "I never, I didn't come through Edinburgh for any reason." No, they said, "We understand that James told us that." But they said, "We'd like you to be there." And I said, "I'll tell you what you do, lads. You go and have your first board meeting, and you tell them what you want to do and who you want to bring in, and depending on what they tell you, you come back and tell me." Uh, and they did come back and they said, uh, everybody's for it if you'll do it. So I said, okay. I said, but we're talking about a year because uh, I'm not really sure that I want to be long-term. And won the league in the first year. And it was, uh, it was a great year. I enjoyed it. My own club, 
I was asked the question by uh, Archie McPherson. They were doing the, uh, one of the, the games uh, and they asked if I'd have a, be interviewed by Archie. He was giving the commentary in the game. And he said, why uh, why you come back in? I said, because I was fed up listening to you on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you know, you've got to bring everything back to reality. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you touched on something there that I'd, uh, I meant to bring up earlier on, and that was Archie McPherson. One of my uh, biggest memories of that Aberdeen game, eighty-six, uh, eighty-seven, was the highlights that night, and your interview about toasting the Rangers, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it. As a young boy, um, I hurt through, you know, a chord. I, I seen it again. I can't remember it. It popped up on something, and I was watching it in the Cooper Cross and the, the golf, the golf the butcher's header. And then I was watching, it and, and then your interview popped up again. I went, I remember this, and I remember it from 1987. Oh, but it was fantastic, and it, it's, I think it's a biding memory that a lot of people. I think what we'll do is we'll probably try and find a clip of it and stick yeah. it into the podcast somewhere for those that haven't. I think, I think, you know, if you asked about memories and, and you know, the two big memories that stand out was introducing Graham at the start of that season. And after the game, and I'd got the part, I, I was really annoyed at the end of the game because uh, if we had won, it was finished. A draw meant we had to beat St. Martin. But when the game finished, our game finished, that was the thought that was going through my head when we were sitting in the stand waiting for the... And all of a sudden, there was a great... Something happened. There were big roars, and there was people crawling all over the, the faraway. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? And then somebody shouted... Falkirk beat Celtic and we've won the league. And I'm thinking, Christ, it can all happen in the one night. Rangers won the league, my team beat Celtic and they saved us off again, relegated. <laughs> what, a, what a day. So all of a sudden the Rangers supporters were on the park and they were taking the goalposts out and they were digging up the turf and I thought, oh, no, no, no. So I said to Jack Lesby, one of the directors, I said, could you look after Betty? and take her down the stairs. I said, I'm going out there. And he said, no, you're not going to. I said, I'm going out there. So I got over the, the, the barrier and down it, and I'm getting onto the park, and this policeman said, where the hell are you? You're going. I said, I'm going to get them off the park. <laughs> oh, and he says, how are you going to do that? I says, I'm going to ask them. Oh, he says, well, watch this then. So I went on the park, and... I think it was Stuart Daniels. We think it was. Yeah. Anyway, Stuart Daniels that runs the bus. There was, there was somebody came. Yeah. There's a big lad came and faced me up. And he says, yeah. "What are you doing on here, Davy?" I says, "I'm on here to get you crowd off." I said, "I've worked for a year. I gave up my whole bloody life to get you a lead title, and you come on here and you're disgracing it." Oh, oh. I says, "He said, what do you want me to do?" I says, "Get them off the park, and I'll get the team to come back again." And they went off the park. Right. 
And then when they went off the park, Graham they came out and Archie McPherson said, right, he was doing the commentary and he said, eh, we've got to get an interview now and blah, blah. So I said, okay. So we had the interview and they're packing up and I was walking away from them. And I thought, I said, have I got time to say something? And he said, yeah, if you want. And that's why I said, I made the, the toast. toast yeah. I said, look, lads, whoever's watching this, I'm driving so I can't drink. But tonight when this is on, I'm going to give you a toast. And that's what I said. Remember that so, <laughs> Graham coming in was a big time. But looking back on that and the effect that had on people that night was watching it, because many people have told me they broke down that night. That was another big time in my uh, life. No, it was certainly something that uh, it, it, it fulfills my memories of that day. When I think of that day, David Cooper, Right. If you ask any Rangers fan who your favourite player is, and you automatic, without a thought, shout is not David Cooper. I get upset, right? He's, he's just that. No, it's louder, a better player, guys going a better player. I'll whisper maybe, but I'm never going to concede it, right? So the fact that he took, and I think he took the free kick a wee bit quick and caught them off guard. The big butcher, who was my hero, because I'm a 13, 14 year old mm -hmm. centre back at the time and I idolised the big guy, I've just died in many heaven. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, that's my memories. And, and then also, it is your, but, and I remember Graham being interviewed, but I can't remember what he said, but I remember what you said about toasting the Glasgow Rangers, the Champions 1986 87. It's incredible, isn't it? The, the things that you, you remember. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I think um, you, you, when you left Rangers, you were still, you just, the Taggarts was still a thing and the Lawn Script still a thing. Through the Falkirk times, was that still, were you still involved with those two businesses? Well, uh, my big job after Soul Rangers was to sell all the other bits because mm -hmm. uh, Lawrence wanted to cut his ties with his call. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did that for him. And uh, I started up a business and I tried to save a couple of the uh, Lawrence companies, but it failed, it went down. and. I was disappointed about that, but I just didn't have the finances to, to support it. It was as simple as that. Anyway, it happened, and uh, uh, the good thing that happened to me at that time was uh, Lynn, I brought a wee boy into the world, and he became my wee boy, mm. my world, yeah. and Betty's world. And I think we grew stronger together as a, a family. And I took a time to, to get over everything. It was, it was hard. And then uh, people started to recognize me in business. And I was asked to go and help people out in their businesses and get them back on. I eventually became uh, a director with uh, a big English team in the building industry. And uh, they were from the headquarters in Epsom. And uh, I went on the main board there as a non-executive director. And I did that for a few years. 
And then one day I came to my senses and I said, well, you know, I spent all this time. Betty wasn't feeling too well. And I decided I would dedicate the rest of my life to her and the family. Um, you, um, the story's fantastic and as I say now I understand that a bit more I think even taking the Rangers thing out the business the, the, the ethos behind the thinking and the theory behind your business um, life is an interesting story in itself the Rangers thing's icing in the cake and talk for me um, incredibly um, intelligent business person um, but, and this is the but, I've got to know and speak to a lot of very, very successful business people. And you know the thing that always surprises me? It's no complicated. You, you know, you, 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 you're, the way you go about it, the, the, you know, get a team, surround yourself with good people, get a plan in place. It's no rocket science. And some of the most successful people in business and in football apply common sense and logic and, and uphold it. Um, and it's incredible talking to you today. So, um, I'd like to bring Stephen. Could you do me a wee favour? Could you sort of give me the synopsis of the book? Tell me about you know what the story is there, and um, you know gives a wee insight into that. Yeah, well, as, as David said earlier, it's not a blow by blow account, game by game account. We didn't want to do that. Um, it's written in a narrative form, um, and it goes it goes through David's story. Um, Rangers, but also gives you background in his life, you know, um, his background going into Singapore when he was in, in the RAF, uh, his background as a Falkirk fan. Um, so it does it does tell it tells the, the whole story of his life, but it's obviously weaved all around all around Rangers. Um and it all the key points we've talked about today, uh it, it deals with all of them, with the people we've, we've spoken about talking about it, and it takes us right up to to 89 when they left and then it deals a bit with afterwards as well and how, how enjoyable was the process of you know sitting down with david mr holmes and talking about things and finding out you say that you know it's touched on things that were news to you um what was that experience like yeah we thoroughly enjoyed it thoroughly enjoyed it uh, it was utterly fascinating it was a privilege to do it i mean i think as as you say you know your podcast will be up in the ether in 100 years time but it was important that this book i think came out because I think it's totally, it's, I mean, a lot of people have written books about the period, um, but I think the main protagonist is sitting next to me here. There's no question about that whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and it's really important, I think, for fans of a certain generation that a lot of the myths you talked about are scotched about who brought people in. I mean, it wasn't just Graham Soonis. It was Walter Smith. Yeah, that's a that's in the club. You talked about Terry Butcher. You talked about, you can go on, you can go Richard Goff, Ian Ferguson, John Brown, all these key people, you know, are right through to nine in a row. And they're all there because... David Holmes. Uh, so I think it's an important document from that point of view. And hopefully, I mean, I think your generation, Rangers fans, will enjoy it. I'm pretty hopeful of that. But I think hopefully younger people as well will read it and realise just how significant it was. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you both already touched it. There's stuff in there that nobody probably knew. I mean, you have had a very intimate connection to Mr. Holmes since 85, 86. And there was stuff that you're thinking, God, I didn't know that. So I can't wait to kick you out and start reading the book, with all due respect, right? <laughs> and and I, I promise you, I'll, I'll, um, I'll have a ridiculous... I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of state I'm in tomorrow um, after a sleepless night to finish it. And I'm not a person that goes to bed every week with a book. I'm not, but non-fiction, 
particularly um, um, autobiographies, and obviously the connection to Rangers and the admiration I have for you already, that will be done cover to cover. Um, well, look, I, I, can't, I can't thank you both enough for the time and, and, and for Ryan as well for helping set this up. And to the people that came my way when I just put a shout out a few months ago to say, I fancy interviewing David Holmes. Um, and the feedback I got from that for numerous people that then put me in touch with Stephen and, and turn Ryan and then turn what happened today. It's been a wee dream come true for me, believe me, Mr. Holmes. Um, I just, uh, I might get emotional now because I feel like that wee boy at 14 again give you my scarf and I always ask um, my guests at the end of any interview is there anything that you have, haven't maybe touched on that you want to talk about and if you could do the whole thing again would you do anything different you got another three hours Mr. Holmes, I'll be here to tea time to shut the door if you want to. I'm thinking about you and your family and friends. So my Lurgan board stuff wasn't there. No, no, no. I, I, the only thing is, I, I, the book isn't about money. Huh? The book isn't not about having a white or swipe at people. Yeah. The book isn't no nothing to do with bitterness. Yeah. The book is what happened in my time at Rangers. Yeah. Nothing more, nothing less. And I hope, I hope a lot of people will buy it because the two things that come out of this book is that if you apply yourself I keep on saying this, and if you read the foreword that my grandson has done for this book, oh. it'll bring a tear to your eye. It did to me. And what he's saying is true. People are only limited by their own ambition. And if you don't have ambition and faith in what you're doing, you have got no chance to succeed. So I would just like people away from Rangers, just simple supporters like I was at Falkirk, mm. to read this book and think, you know, the next time we see our club going to do something, we hope they do it like that. Yeah. Look for the supporters first and make sure that they are getting what they want. But not at any cost, within their means. Success will come. Yeah, no. And second part of that question: if you could, if you had to relive it again, is there anything you'd change? No, nothing. Brilliant. Nothing. You know, you're you're evidently you were a Falkirk fan um, before you walked through the door at Rangers. Um, how did you feel about Rangers when you walked out that door five years later? Well, I think that's the the biggest tragedy of the lot. Uh, my time at Rangers was all about the fans. The revolution was all about the fans. It wasn't about anything else, it was about the fans. And what Lawrence asked me to do was get them back. And I got them back. What I didn't expect was the affection that I had for them 
and the affection they had for me. It took me 34 years to find out just how affectionate they are. So if there were any regrets, the regrets was that I couldn't take them a wee bit further. And the regrets were that I lost touch with them for 34 years. But somewhere I found them again. And I'm not going to let that go. Nope. Mr. Holmes, the only thing I've got to do now is thank you for your time. Um, it's been an honour, a privilege, a humbling experience sat here in front of you for so much time. And I say often that the, the greatest gift you can give anybody is your time. And I've had that and boodles from you today. And it means as much. Earn, sorry, earn 52 minutes. We've been recording plus a wee half hour before it. So you gave me plenty of time today. But I mean that's from the bottom of my heart. It means as much to me as that. 50 seconds you gave me as a 14 year old so thank you very much for making my day and uh, my, my favourite guest that I've had so thank you very much sir thank you celebrating tonight uh, yeah <laughs> just just the two some though just away for now get away from it all oh absolutely anyway congratulations can I just say one thing yes. I will celebrate tonight and it's very difficult to, to drink some champagne with all the fans, but we've got a lot of fans all over the world and a lot in Scotland. And I'd just like to say, if you're watching the programme tonight, that when you're watching it, I'll have a drink, Lance, and I'll give you a toast. Rangers Football Club, Premier League winners, 1986-87. Thanks, Archie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.